Well, it's time for the tactics meeting, and today we've got a unique emergency response organization to talk about. It's Bainbridge Prepares. They are a coalition of the local police department, uh, government agencies, and a nonprofit organization that come together to prepare for emergencies within the community of Bainbridge Island. And with me today, I have Tammy Allen, one of the team leaders of Bainbridge Prepares. Hi, Tammy. Welcome to the program. Good afternoon, Dan. Thank you. And I have Stuart Skadron Waddles from Bainbridge Prepares, also uh, is part of their communication team. Hello, Stuart. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Good to be here. So, Tammy, let's start with you. Tell us how you got involved with Bainbridge Prepares. How did it come into existence in the first place? I was very happy when Bainbridge Prepares came into existence. Before we had Bainbridge Prepares, the emergency preparedness challenge was pretty much carried by city and fire and the public agencies. We would ask families to have their preparedness kit. We'd ask them to get to know their neighbors and know how to, to respond after an earthquake for power, water, other emergencies. But it really took off when one of our own residents moved to the island who was already an emergency preparedness fanatic, <laughs> and that was Scott James. And he had published a book about community preparedness. And he looked around the neighborhood, said, boy, we could do, we could do better. Especially being that we're on an island. So when we do become disconnected, it's not just transportation, it's food, resiliency, it's family reunification, it's power, redundant power. So that's been developing over the years. And then more recently, the island becoming its own emergency management department uh, has allowed the, the city and the fire and this nonprofit to really take off. So my involvement was prior to Bainbridge Prepares, the city trying to figure out how we would get people to work. And that's where the flotilla came in. But then having Stuart come on and he's more than just communications, he's the, the whole flotilla connection is having a citizen volunteer like Stuart and then having a harbor master in the police department where I fulfill that role and the city emergency preparedness. So that's how it's all kind of taking off today. So Stuart, you're head of the flotilla. It looks to me like you're coming at to us from your boat today. That's correct, Dan. I live on this boat. Um, my wife and I have lived aboard for almost six years now. Uh, I'm retired. Um, and uh, we've owned the boat for 10 years. And I've been a sailor since I was a teenager. So it was, it was retiring to the boat was exactly what we wanted to do, but that leaves us with time. What do we do with time? And uh, I heard Tammy speak at our yacht club uh, on Bainbridge Island. And Tammy said, what are you gonna do if this happens? Where are you gonna find your water? 
What are you going to do with power? How are you going to handle your fuel? Do you keep your fuel tanks topped up? If a tsunami comes, do you have a plan? And I'm going, there's something to this. If you made a pitch for the emergency flotilla and said, this is what happens when Bainbridge gets cut, cut off. And this is why we need boats. Uh, the whole thing was, was Tammy's brainchild. But she's absolutely right about the partnership. And these can be difficult partnerships, private sector and public agencies. The training level's different. The understanding of what to do is different. The concerns are different. But that diversity, if you bring it into partnership, actually does more than add, it multiplies. And, and uh, the Bainbridge Preparers partnering with the city of Bainbridge and the city agencies um, is that partnership. And that's how it works. By the way, this wouldn't work without ICS. It wouldn't work without, with, without the incident command system that FEMA has developed. So people forget you are Bainbridge Island, but there's a bridge. So like people come and go pretty regularly without thinking about it. And uh, the ferry system is running all of the time. And we're, we're used to these services existing uh, without stop, right? There's no, there's no issue. Yeah, maybe the, maybe the ferry misses a sailing um, and I have to wait a little while in line or you know, maybe there's construction in the area of the bridge and I have to wait a little while, but I'm going to be able to get where I, I need to go until something else happens. Right? And the big concern that we have in Washington right now, or the one that's getting the most press, is the earthquake caused by the Cascadia Fault off the coast of Northern California, Oregon, Washington, and British Columbia. That fault has let go. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Tammy, but I think about every 350 years, give or take, for thousands of years. So we have the ge geologic records to show that. And so we're about 150 years overdue, right? So it's not really a matter of if. We all know that it's a matter of when. And when that goes, it's gonna generate an estimated 9.4 earthquake on the Richter scale, followed by a massive tsunami. I participated in a Cascadia Rising exercise, I think it was 2016, uh, where I supported the Washington State Department of Commerce. And the one thing that I took away from that exercise is that help's not coming. That we, we tell people to have three days supply of, of food and water and medicines and whatever other uh, things that you in your particular situation require. But the minimum really needs to be two weeks. And it, it really, really, let's be honest, it needs to be 30 days or, or longer. And people just aren't prepared in that way. And then once you're cut off from the island, it's a matter of whether you're sheltering in place, right? Whether you're staying on the island or whether you're getting people off. And you've decided you need to prepare for both. Is that a true statement, Tammy? Right. And if you look at, um, for those of the listeners that are out of our area, Bainbridge Island is eight miles west of downtown Seattle. So we may absorb 
8,000 day trippers that were on vacation in Seattle or they live in Seattle and they walked on the ferry with a water bottle and a cell phone and they didn't even bring their charger. So they weren't prepared to do anything longer than maybe having lunch. Then we have all of the commuters that come uh, again back to a map of Bainbridge. If we go west, it's just, you can see Kitsap County, but there's a bridge there that goes over Agate Pass. We could have 10 to 15,000 vehicles drive across or more to go to work on Bainbridge or to park and get on the ferry. So aside from our the number of residents that we are seeing every day, we have this commuter and visitor population that may be on the island and need to get home. And then we have all the people that have left the island for the day that need to come back. Um, that's a huge job in itself. And then you mentioned something about for the populations here, within Bainbridge Prepares, there is an entire team just dealing with the hubs, these small community information stations around the island that residents can walk to. They start with their house, then their street, then their neighborhood, then their hub, so that we don't have a line of people at the fire department. But those people that did not, that aren't part of our decade long planning exercise that just happen to be on the island, we were planning for them as well. So you're right, there are one way trips, <laughs> puppy, uh, one, one way trips, family reunification, getting people back to Bainbridge, and family reunification off island, getting people back to where they came from. As property prices increase on Bainbridge, more than half of our firefighters and police officers that we would be depending on, their homes are off island. So it's getting those essential staff that live off island to be able to come to work and then getting them home for the next rotation. So yes, transportation be, becomes a big part of it. All of the other things that we can do as residents, the water and the power and the food resiliency and having what they need for the first few days. If they go to work off island, they're supposed to have a go bag at work, at school, so that none of this would happen in the first day. This may this may start on day three or four. Uh, you hit about the you mentioned the thirty day preparedness of having stores, and we're definitely in that ballpark. We're trying to get our our neighborhoods resilient, self sufficient for that that month because we're so far off of. You know, we're not going to be a top priority for the state of Washington to get the Safeway truck back on Agate Pass Bridge. So I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I think we're, we have a little bit of an advantage because I mean, we're, we're over 600 volunteers now that have gone through our EOC, gone to our emergency manager, Anne LeSage at City Hall and become certified credentialed to volunteer. So now we can actually use over 600 Medical Reserve Corps, 
um, CERT community emergency response members, flotilla captains, hub operators, they're all oh, credentialed uh, to, to help in that, in that event, like an earthquake, like you said. So Stuart, the flotilla then plays a pivotal role in moving people on and off the island. And I hadn't thought about it until Tammy mentioned it. I was mostly thinking about the residents, not the 8,000 day trippers that might be there with just a water bottle. So some need to get off because certainly you don't want to keep them, right? Because then you got to house them and feed them. So in, in, the, in the name of, of, of helping, them, uh, helping them out, you really want to move them on, right? Um, and bring back families and and support staff so what is it how many boats do you have in the flotilla and what how is it that you're organized what does that look like um we have we have currently we have 73 people who are who are volunteers for the flotilla of those uh i think about 52 are credentialed um and uh i haven't actually counted up all the boats yet uh Tammy and I are still in the process of putting together the criteria to qualify the boats. So we're going to rank the boats by one, two, and three in terms of their usefulness and their ability to fit into certain scenarios. Uh, and that'll be important for us to do as well. So the, data, the data side of this is important just to be able to organize it all peers. That's part of what I've brought to the to team is, is some data expertise to be able to do that and use the tools to do that. Um, the, the, uh, we're, we're right now, we're talking about um, Cascadia Rising 22, 2022, that exercise. And for Bainbridge Islands, part of that exercise, we have an entire day set aside for flotilla. The emerge, emerge, EOC set aside an entire day and said, that's yours. And we want to see you operate the western side of the island. So this is not so much citizen and family reunification. This is more bringing emergency personnel onto the island. Our emergency manager lives off island by that point. That's the emergency manager for the city of Bainbridge. If something happens during a time when she is at home, We've got to get her into onto Bainbridge Island as soon as possible. So being able to mobilize quickly is an issue. Um, being able to have places where they can go on land, places that we think will not be compromised by a tsunami, um, then that's where they need to go. So we're basically what we're doing is developing a ferry system where we have, we have clusters of boats on the Western side. We have a bay on the Western side of the island where we can put them. Cluster of boats on the Northern side. We have a bay where we can put them. And those boats will then operate as ferries um, and go around and gather people. An additional constraint for us is the use of fuel. Um, we wanna make sure that that we're being economical in our use of fuel because we don't know where the fuel is going to come from after that after the event occurs. 
and we don't know when we'll get it. So in addition to keeping your tanks topped up, you've got to be able to operate economically on fuel. We have both power boats and sailboats in the group. So we can, we can use them to our, strategically to our advantage. We have small boats um, and we have larger ones. We have boats that can operate in a small craft advisory and boats that can't. Um, we intend to use that diversity in specific situations. And as we plan out for what we're gonna do on, on uh, CR 22, as we call it, we're planning, we're planning actually a fleet of boats that's gonna operate under a flotilla dispatch one for the northern side, one for the western side, and a flotilla command station at the at EOC. When they're the people who are going, that that flotilla command station is going to oversee the overall thing, take requests from from EOC for additional transportation. We can operate on a ferry route. We can also operate as a taxi system. So if we have ad hoc things that we need to do. Flotilla dispatch could say, great, I'm gonna take this boat that's just come in from delivering some passengers and I'm gonna send them out to do this taxi job and come back. So all of that's working on a decentralized function and ham radios linking the whole thing. Okay, so you've decided that the ham radio frequencies will is the network that you're going to work on. So have all of the members of the flotilla then gone out and gotten their amateur radio technician's license? How does that work? So in order to be a flotilla captain, one of the qualifications is that you get a ham license. And we have a lot of flotilla captains who are not ready to get a ham license yet. So we've been working on that. Um, uh, as you know, as a new ham, uh, th there's a there's a sort of a step that you have to take to commit to getting a technician's license, which is the lowest level of PAM license. And, and that step involves taking an exam and studying for it. And so fortunately, we have another team in Bainbridge Prepares, which is devoted entirely to amateur radio relay. And those people are amateur enthusiasts. And we have a number of, of already had before Bainbridge prepares a number of people on Bainbridge Island who are who are ham enthusiasts. And so these people have have come alongside to help educate and equip and uh, create a stand, for instance, create a standard program for handheld radios so that all of us know if we switch to channel one three, we will have the same frequency that we're operating on. It's already programmed with the proper tones. It's already programmed to transmit and receive. Um, we have a repeater on the island um, that can reach very far. Um, it has it has some interesting propagation shadows. There are places where it doesn't reach, but uh, but we can re do relays. Um, so we're we're looking at it that way. One of the things I love about about flotilla captains is we're sailors and i mean that in the broadest sense we understand what it is to work within constraints and we understand what it is to improvise when things go wrong 
We have to, that's good seamanship. So there's a good reason for, for flotilla captains to become ham radio operators. We just have to convince people that maritime VHF is really going to be that jam. No, it really is. I mean, the other alternative that you could consider, which I also think will be quite jammed, is GMRS. Right. So, I mean, with GMRS, you're required to have a license from the FCC, but there's no test. You pay your fee, you get your call sign, and you're done. And it gives you access to you know, these 22 channels within the, in the VHF spectrum within the, the, the GMRS channels. Um, but everybody else is gonna be talking on them too, right? You're gonna be competing for, for a really limited uh, piece of the spectrum. And by using amateur radio, you've got much greater options for finding you know, clear air. Even if you had to, you could reprogram the repeater and move to another frequency if you absolutely had to. Right, and when and with with handheld radios that all have the same program, it's really easy to say this channel's getting jammed. Let's switch to that channel, and work on a simplex frequency that that uh, that makes sense that is less crowded. I think that would be another plug for using our incident command system, so that you know, we yesterday Stuart and I were talking about the drill that we'll do in. Well, we'll do a tabletop and then we'll do the drill in June. But having span of, using span of control for our communications as well. So I may have four or five boats using VHF marine channels to talk to one flotilla or dispatch uh, vessel that has both ham and VHF so that the land-based flotilla command is just dealing with three or four uh, dispatchers. So, you know, if I think about the day that like 9-11, uh, there was a huge boat lift. They moved 100,000 people um, using vessels. We, we can simplify things by using the incident command system. There's still going to be a bunch of vessels that are, vol you know, they just volunteer and, and they move people. And that's great. They're they won't have the benefit of using our incident command system. They won't have the benefit of a mission number that provides possibly refueling and protecting the vessel because we have liability insurance. So there's, aside from the communication, there is a benefit of them being part of a incident command structure because those, those channels will be so jammed if they just had one person they needed to report to and get information from, things can go a lot smoother. So are you using the uh, ARIES organization as part of your ham radio team? Do you have amateur emergency radio service personnel that are participating with Bainbridge Prepares or is, is it that Bainbridge Prepares is, is simply uh, deciding to use the ham radio frequencies uh, independently? No, we do have we do have Aries people uh, on Bainbridge Island. As I mentioned, the the, uh, the Bainbridge Prepares team works with Aries all the time. So it's 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 uh, but they're the they're the ham specialists. We're not. Um, 
uh, I get teased a lot for, you know, just having a handheld, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm not interested in becoming a super ham radio operator. I'm interested in operating a flotilla and in operating my boat in such a way that I can coordinate with others. That's all I care about. Right. No, I, I, if, I agree. If, it's like it's like talking on your cell phone. I'm not going to go build a cell phone tower. And I'm certainly not going to understand everything about how this radio inside the cell phone works. Which, by the way, folks, when you say, oh, I don't need a radio, I'll just use my cell phone. Your cell phone is a radio. And when that repeater tower, the cell phone tower comes down, you're not talking to anybody. You don't even have the option of calling one cell phone directly to another without going through the tower. But with a radio, we can talk to each other directly on simplex channels. So radio is what we need to embrace for emergency response communications. You have to assume that cell phone is just going to be a paperweight. And then our proximity helps us with one another too, because um, if we take the Tonga tsunami as, a, as an example, Tonga got entirely cut off. And 1,100 miles from the closest, closest large landmass, they had no option to use amateur radio in the way that we're going to be able to use it with repeaters, in relays. Those are things that are available to a coastal, coastal group. You know, they're available to us. By, by virtue of where we are geographically. And it's going to be vitally important. Cell phones, well, not it's not just that cell towers are gonna go down, it's that everybody's gonna be calling everybody to get something. So you've got all these people on the island, they walked on and now you've got 8,000 people on the island and it could take you, what do you think, Stuart, a day, two days? You got to organize them into a location before you can start shuttling them somewhere. And you can't just shuttle them over onto a beach and drop them there. You can't, you have to, it has to be some place to, to take them. How long do you think it's going to take you to move that group of tourists off of the island? That's actually a calculation I haven't done. Um, we've, we've, I haven't yet done. We will. Um, but uh, but your presumption that we wouldn't dump people on a beach is wrong. We actually would. Okay. <laughs> um, there you go. Beach is, Don't get your beach feet wet. The, a beach is the only place there's going to be. We're going. Our docks are going to be disabled. Our ferry system is going to be disabled. And we're not going to be able to get to a dock uh, to to dump people off. What we're going to need to do is have some, some intermunicipal cooperation so that we can have tenders, large scale tenders, not just little dinghies, you know, but things that can carry 12, 14 people, beaching, taking people to out to a boat that is flying a flag for that island, right? And putting them on that boat. That boat then, this I'm now, talk, now talking about the Seattle Bainbridge travel. For the Bainbridge Seattle travel, you know, that's, an, that's probably an easier thing. Tammy, how many of our tourists really just stay around Winslow Way, Winslow, the vi village of Winslow? 
Right, because it's all pedestrian traffic, it'd be pretty quick to see them line up at the ferry. And we do have the 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 sculpture parks over on the Seattle side that are clean landings. I, I would think that would be such a low priority. We would be focusing on our essential staff at the beginning and getting them sheltered until we can get them back over. I mean, I would argue we're an island, true. But if you think of all the bridges that are going to be impacted on the Seattle side, those are all islands as well. Right, that's true. So we, we chose to use signal flags for Bainbridge Island and we use the Bravo flag next to the India flag. And the idea was that was stolen from Boatlift when they were moving people onto ferries and they would they took a big sheet and with a spray can and they wrote where they were going to take that boat so we borrowed that and we used nautical signal flags for bravo in india bainbridge island bashan island's going to use a victor kingston hopefully will use kilo so that idea could work for other small towns of where you know the boats at this point but it's just going to go north five miles and say, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to Shilshul or I'm going to Edmonds. It doesn't just have to be an east-west idea. It could be just covering where a bridge would have been. So Vashon Island, do they have a similar preparedness organization? Or are you just saying you've designated them as Victor India? And if I want to go to Vashon Island, I'm looking for a flag, a boat flying the Victor India flag. Yeah, they're interested in that idea, and I'm I'm hoping it takes off. We only have so many letters, but uh, when we talked to the Vashon prepared group, they liked the Victor idea. the The cooperation between who the emergency management system, whatever is in that community, they've got to be connected with that EOC to really make this work. Um, people will volunteer to help, and they always have. The boat lift, those were all just voluntary. They just did it. There wasn't a government agency that said, I'd like, I'd like you to move 100,000 people today. It was voluntary. Cajun Navy in Louisiana, that's voluntary. The guy with the jet ski in Bahamas that saved 100 people, voluntary. Uh, the kid in a dinghy and... and uh, the fires in Australia, those were just spontaneous volunteers. I think we're gonna see that, but if we can have a little uh, planning ahead of time where voters have contacted their local EOC and said, hey, what do we have in place? And start that process of credentialing, I think it'll go a long way. I don't, I don't know that we have any groups like Bainbridge Island that exist today, but we definitely are talking to Kitsap County, Bashan Island, Kingston. There's a group uh, developing in Polsvo. And these are guys that are out there when there's a storm preventing boats from going on the beach. They're already doing emergency uh, management, but they're just not connected to an EOC yet. So you, you know, did a great exercise here not that long ago. Do you want to tell us about it? The point of the exercise was really to was really to get flotilla captains involved in doing some transfers, 
and figuring out what the logistics were and figuring out what we needed to have. It started off as an idea of just what do we need to train flotilla captains? And it moved on to what do we need to know about the flotilla operations in order to train the flotilla captains? So, uh, so we, had, we had two boats that were actually doing transfers, passenger transfers. We did passenger transfers on the northern end of Bainbridge, and then we also did attempted some on the, on the western end. In this case, Flotilla Command was actually on the boat, one of the Bainbridge Island PD's marine boats, and they were supervised, Flotilla Command and Tammy's, Tammy's person were supervising the entire thing. Uh, we also had a safety officer on board that boat, separate from Tammy, who was judging the, who was looking at the conditions. We're doing transfers between boats and dinghies. We're making assumptions that a dock is not available, we have to use the beach. We're ferrying passengers two at a time, one at a time, whatever the tender will accommodate because that's the way it's going to work. We took the hardest route possible because we don't think docks will survive in the initial days. And if they do, we don't know that they're safe. We also tried to tried an activation system uh, using Nixel and then going to ham radio, having volunteers check in uh, so that we had, so that one of the things with certified volunteers is you need to check in, need to check them in when they come in and you need to check them out when they leave because that's the period of time of liability that you're covering. And, and you have to show, show records that, that display that that's what's going on. So we did all of that, that kind of work. Um, we actually, for passengers, we actually had people who were in the flotilla organization, but weren't on a boat doing that. And we learned a great deal. So Tammy, you were in flotilla command. What was the role that you were fulfilling and how did that command and control operation work out in the end? Right. So we practiced it where I was on the water and I could see the activities going on because we only had one route that we were covering. In this next drill, I will probably be flotilla command with a ham radio on land at the EOC getting the re requests directly from EOC because there'd be too many boats. We might have we might have 15 boats. So that span of control again, I'll be talking to dispatchers. Dispatchers will be talking to individual vessels. The EOC hopefully will have trained the staff member and they'll have a hailing card and they know where they're supposed to walk to after an earthquake. They've already talked to their EOC through HAM to find out when they need to check in to work. One of the things we, we envision though, will be that panic uh, crowd of people who didn't have a plan, who weren't part of, there weren't a priority essential staff. They don't have a hailing card. So we'll have to, we'll have, to have support on land, a, mar a marshalling unit that kind of protects our dinghy operator from being commandeered when they come close to shore. I mean, back to the original person that started talking to the community about Bainbridge Prepares, that if people aren't trained and they're not prepared, 
they'll act out of fear. And that's the worst case scenario. So we do worry about crowds of people trying to take over a dinghy. But if we have, um, if we've done enough training with our community and our, the staff people that we're picking up, that part should be pretty organized that they know where they're supposed to walk to and they have a colored card saying I'm a high priority essential staff person. The steward might be in the dinghy, he might be the dinghy captain or another volunteer and they can see who they need to pick up. The hailing card has the Bravo India flag on it, say this is where I'm going, this is who I am to get priority seating on a dinghy. But we noticed, you know, it took four volunteers to move one passenger. If you think about the marshalling, the, the, land, the land support, the dinghy support, the captain, safety officer, the flotilla command. Yeah, we're glad we have 600 volunteers and we can probably use another 100 captains, but we also need their crew. So we've started getting our captains, our boat owners to start training their families and friends so that they know that boat. And after an earthquake, they know which boat that they're gonna go talk to their neighbor and they know that vessel. And then that whole group will check in as a, as a, as a ready vessel. So Tammy, how is the Bainbridge prepared initiative accepted amongst the rest of the full-time residents of the island, but people who aren't volunteers, is it well understood? Are they embracing this idea of uh, being prepared and responsible for themselves? How, how is it that they're responding? I remember taking a call about five years ago from a, from a mom who had a child that goes to school on the Seattle side. And she said, oh, I was so glad to hear you have a flotilla to get my son home from school. I said, no, you've got, it's really got to start and it ha and now it's starting to take hold that all of that preparedness happens in the home and then their street. And it's actually on their street, they're supposed to start talking to their neighbors and figure out who has a boat and how are they going to accomplish family unification. The student, Stuart and I, just barely scratching the surface on getting essential staff. There's no reason they can't be working with the, the guy on their street, gal on their street that has a boat. They have their, their own transportation. So the each island's family has been hearing from our city and our, and our community prepares to map your neighborhood, know your street, map your neighborhood, know where your hub is, have a family, have their own family reunification <clears throat> plan so, they're not, so that we're not getting burdened. There isn't a line at the fire department. That's all, that would be, I, I would think most of the residents have heard of Bainbridge Prepares by now. They've heard, maybe heard of the flotilla. They might not yet realize that they're pretty far down in our roster for getting moved. Um, but I think which, you know what I, we, I think it was just this morning when, when our island reacted to the pandemic, we reacted by 
at the very early stages, sewing masks. Suddenly there were all these volunteers sewing masks, then doing testing. And we, our volunteer pool got bigger and bigger. Now we have 600 volunteers that understand incident command. They might not know anything about the flotilla, but they're gonna fit somewhere in the emergency response because it's so broad. And then they'll have to communicate through the hubs as far as contacting the vessels. The, the folks that walk on the ferry, no, they would have no idea. And I, I worry that a lot of the people that commute have still not connected what they're going to do if the ferry is unavailable. We've ridden the ferry a few times to talk to commuters, ask them what their plan is. And I like to do it right in the middle of the run. We've left Seattle, we're halfway across. They're thinking they're gonna be home. And I ask them, what would your plan have been if we were not on this ferry right now? And some of them answer that they've got a go bag, they've got a plan, they have a place to stay, or they've, they've worked it out. Some of them will say, oh, I'm gonna go steal a boat in Bell Harbor. It's like, no, that's somebody else's escape plan. You can't have that one. So they, it's each gonna be unique based on how, um, what kind of commute pattern they're on. Some of them do have boats on the other side. And we'll just keep doing the, the recruitment because I think the more uh, boat owners we have in the flotilla or even as crew members, they don't have to own a boat to be a crew member on the flotilla. That'll help with the neighborhood preparedness. They'll know who to ask on their street about what this flotilla is, is here for. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Tammy, Stuart, thank you so much for your time and thank you for the work you're doing to help keep your neighbors, your residents, your guests safe during emergencies. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. It was a joy to share with you.